God, indeed we are grateful for the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf that sets us free. God, it makes us willing to obey all that you've commanded to us through your word. God, we know that when we stumble and when we fall, it is not because of our efforts or our ingenuity, our intellect, our cleverness that we stand and walk But God, it is because of you and what you have done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we look to him. We look to the cross where he willingly laid down his life in order that we might live. God, in these moments as we go to your word, would we see the face of Jesus Christ clearly? God, would we desire more than anything to follow him? To follow him, not in an indistinct way, but in a way in which we see his death and follow him into his death. That we see his burial and we follow him into his burial. That we see him in his resurrection and we look forward to the day when we will be raised with him to rule and reign at the Father's right hand. God, we know with great assurance that these things are true because all of the promises that you've made to us in your word find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so we're here to worship him this morning. God, would you clear our minds of distractions? God, would our hearts be softened to receive the word? May the word fall on fertile soil so that it might grow and flourish. God, so that we might be your witnesses to the people in Jamestown, the men and women, boys and girls that we come in contact with throughout our week. God, we thank you for these things. We thank you for all that you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You're already sitting. I was going to say, have a seat. Uh, Kids, ages three and four, up to and including kindergarten, you can make your way to the back. Uh, Miss Kelly's back there, and I'll take you up to your classroom this morning. Hi, um, I'm Caleb. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, Thank you. Um, I see some new faces here. So my name is Caleb. I'm the pastor here at Buffalo City Church. I'm one of the elders. Um, If we haven't met, I would love to meet you at some point uh, in the next next, uh, few minutes here after the service, potentially. Um, I have been away on, well, not away, I've been here most of the time, but I've been on a 12-week sabbatical, uh, enjoy, enjoying some rest and recovery, relaxation after eight years uh, in this role. Uh, the elders of Buffalo City Church were gracious enough to provide me and my family that opportunity to spend some time together, uh, thinking and reflecting over the last eight years. Uh, and I'm grateful to be back. I'm grateful to see your faces, and I'm grateful to um, be up here this morning. Uh, and so, uh, with that aside, uh, would you take your Bibles and turn with me to First Thessalonians? First Thessalonians this morning, we're going to begin uh, probably the majority of our, I guess it's August, so we're still technically summer, but um, the rest of, uh, mo- up until the Advent season at least, uh, we're going to spend our time together in First Thessalonians, um, thinking about what the 
what the Apostle Paul has written to this church, this fledgling new church in Thessalonica. Together, there's a lot of different things here going on in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to touch on a couple themes by way of introduction right out of the gate this morning. And then we're going to think about just the first three verses, just the greeting and then a couple verses into, into this main section. But before we get there this morning, um, I want to read the entirety of chapter 1. If you're looking for 1 Thessalonians, uh, it's towards the back of your Bible. Uh, And if you see the book of Hebrews, which is a relatively large book, there's about 13 chapters in the book of Hebrews, and go back a few pages, you're going to bump into Philemon, and then to Titus, and then 2 Timothy, and then 1 Timothy, and then 2 Thessalonians, and then 1 Thessalonians. I hope I did that right. I did that backwards. Um, uh, so, First Thessalonians, if I missed one in there, okay. Um, I can say it forward, but maybe not backwards. First Thessalonians, uh, and if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles that was on the back table back there, you're going to find the text on page 1172. I'm going to read all of chapter 1. Like I said, it's just 10 verses, but we're going to focus our time together this morning on the first, or the first three verses. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the, church of Thessal- the, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Journalist P.J. O'Rourke once wrote, Everybody wants to save the earth. Nobody wants to help mom with the dishes. (laughs) I love that quote. I think he wrote it about 40 years ago. But O'Rourke was keying on something that's true in our society. We like to, as people, think that our lives are making an impact around us. And we like to be able to measure that impact. At the end of our favorite superhero film or your favorite TV show, oftentimes the main character saves the world or at least saves a significant portion of it or saves a person that they love and you see the measurable impact that their actions had on the world around them. 
And we are told by the world around us to make miserable impact. And that means investing our time. This is the way that our society thinks about this. It means investing our time in big things. And Christianity has gone this route largely for the last 150 years, thought a lot more about these ideas. As the world has become more mobile, as traveling great distances and moving across great, uh, great uh, in, even the, in the advent of the internet, being able to communicate to people across the globe in an instant, we've begun to think about this a lot more. Measuring our impact based on, now here are a few things. Large and famous and fast. We began to ask questions like, how do we, or how many people can we get into a room? Or what's the biggest name speaker that we can bring in? Or how quickly can we get all of this done? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not speaking out against large, famous, and fast. We want to see many people come to profess Christ. We want to see influential people come to profess Christ and use their platform and their witness to bear witness to who Jesus is. We want to see God do big things in our midst, in our lifetime. But the question that we need to ask is how? How will those things come about? How will God move and bring many men and women to profess Christ? How will he go about doing these things? And how will he use us as those who he has called his ambassadors? How will he use us to make an impact in the world around us? This is one of the reasons why we're exploring 1 Thessalonians together. We want to ask the question, how does God accomplish these things in and through us? Because God's way of doing things, the way he does things, is different than the way that we might choose to do them. Slow is fast. Small is big. Anonymous is notable. And so what I'm saying is this, if, you don't, if you're like, where are you going? Here's what I'm saying. If God's people aim at large, famous, and fast things, they will cut corners They will make compromises and miss making lasting impact. But, this is part of the message, or at least a significant portion of the message of the book of 1 Thessalonians, when God's people aim at everyday faithfulness in the small and seemingly insignificant things of life, their impact will extend generation upon generation. Let me say that again. When God's people aim at everyday faithfulness in the small and seemingly insignificant parts of life, their impact will extend generation upon generation. So, if someone like P.J. O'Rourke, a journalist, someone who I don't believe is a Christian, could say something like, everybody wants to save the earth, but nobody wants to help mom do the dishes, we as Christians, after reading and studying First Thessalonians, should say together, the way we save the earth is by helping mom do the dishes. Joyfully, gratefully, gladly doing the dishes changing a diaper, filling out a spreadsheet, 
caring for an elderly parent. You get the idea. So again, this is one of the main points or main ideas in the letter that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. And there are other important ideas too that we'll explore together. Uh, how, How are Christians to endure in persecution? And what is the ground for the Christian's hope? And how are Christians to think about their leaders? And those are a few other things that we'll explore together. But as we study the letter together, you're here this morning, I want you to continue to think about everyday faithfulness. Every week as we go back here, we'll keep pointing back to this idea, everyday faithfulness. What does it look like to live faithfully every day? What does it look like to believe that with God, small things, things that seem small to us are big. Things that seem anonymous to us are notable. Things that seem slow to us are in fact fast. And again, we'll get there, but when Paul gets to the instruction portion of the letter in the second half of the letter, in chapter 4, verse 11, he writes to Christians who are to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Now, sometimes that verse in particular, just as a way of aside, sometimes that verse is used to justify an isolationist Christianity. But this isn't isolationism. This isn't going off the grid. This is quiet living. It's caring for what God has given you. It's working honestly with your hands. These things are designed to be our witness. And so there is a witness component to it because Paul assumes that the Christians in Thessalonica won't be isolated because the very next verse in verse 12 in chapter 4, he says, so that you may walk properly before outsiders. And note that it is their conduct in their life and the small and seemingly insignificant things that constitutes walking properly before outsiders. It is how you approach small everyday tasks that will bear witness to who God is and what he's done for you in the person of Jesus Christ. You bear witness to Christ in joyful, grateful gladly doing the dishes, changing a diaper, caring for an elderly patient, filling out a a spreadsheet. And so we must ask ourselves the question, do we want our lives to make an impact in the world around us? And the answer is yes, we should, because we are called to, as those who have been redeemed by Jesus, bear witness to the person of Jesus Christ. That is impact. So do we want to make our, or do we want our lives to make an impact? Yes. And then we must therefore consider our attitude and our approach to small, seemingly insignificant tasks. We need to consider our approach and attitude towards helping mom with the dishes. So that brings us then to the first three verses here in 1 Thessalonians. These first three verses give us the first way that we can live a life of everyday faithfulness. And the way that these first three verses give to us is by asking God to be strengthened to follow the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter, his example of gratitude. 
the first way that 1 Thessalonians encourages us to live a life of everyday faithfulness is by asking God to be strengthened to follow Paul's example of gratitude. So two ideas then in these three verses will guide our time together this morning. The first is simply Paul's gratitude to God. And the second is Paul's gratitude expressed in two things, prayer and remembrance. So let's explore these together. First thing this morning is just Paul's gratitude to God. Now let me give you a little background. We've done a little bit, but a little more background to 1 Thessalonians. So 1 Thessalonians is Paul's second letter, probably, Paul's second letter chronologically in the New Testament. It was written sometime during Paul's second missionary journey, probably in the range of AD 49 to 51, while he was in Corinth. And the only other New Testament letter that is probably chronologically older than 1 Thessalonians is Galatians. And that letter has a very different tone. Go read that one later, and you'll see a very different greeting uh, to the church in Galatia. But this letter, right after the greeting, starts out with gratitude. And you'll see this oftentimes in Paul's letters. He'll start out by saying something similar to what he says in verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, because that seems like a common greeting to us, what we might be tempted to do is kind of just skip through it and move on to... Uh, the next part, and think about this largely theological verses 4 through 10. But we shouldn't do that. That's why we're not going beyond verse 3 this morning. But if you look back in verse 1, Paul mentions two other people in his greeting. The first is Silvanus. Now, you might know him better as Silas. Paul and Silas, when they planted the church in Thessalonica, they did it together. They were together. um, And when they planted this church, they saw Gentiles and Jews alike come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia. You see this mentioned a little bit later in in chapter 1. In Macedonia, uh, which was a Roman province at the time, uh, and heavily invested in what we would or what would be known as the imperial cult. So essentially, the imperial cult is that Caesar is Lord. Those who are invested in the imperial cult would would make the profession that Caesar is Lord. So you can see the rub already when Paul and Silas plant the church in Thessalonica. What happens is those who are regularly professing that Caesar is Lord now begin professing that. Jesus is Lord. And so, as their opposition to the imperial cult unfolds through the planting of this church, persecution immediately comes back down upon them. Paul and Silas are forced to leave Thessalonica. And now Paul writes this letter, a few years later, an attempt to reconnect, to re-engage with the church there. Paul also mentions Timothy in the, in the greeting. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Now, Timothy is a common name because two of Paul's New Testament letters are, are written to Timothy. Now, Timothy is 
one of Paul's close mentees. Paul mentors Timothy, raises him up, brings him along on his missionary journeys, and trusts him and trusts him on several occasions to, to be an elder and a pastor within the context of the churches that Paul himself has planted. So we find out that Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica to report on how things are going because Paul had to slip away with Silas sort of in the middle of the night while no one was watching uh, to flee the persecution that was coming. He knew that the church there was having to endure this persecution. And so he wants to, it's a tough situation for Paul. He left and they were vulnerable. And so Paul thinks to himself, I hope that they're doing well. I want to re-engage with them. Um, If you go to chapter 2, sort of at the end, verse 17, but since we were torn away from you, he knows that he was torn away from them in an unexpected way. He says, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavor the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Paul still has a deep and abiding love for this church in Thessalonica, despite the circumstances. So he thinks to himself, the persecution was coming. We were forced to leave. How are they doing? Sends Timothy, and he finds that they're doing well, that they're flourishing. We find out in chapter 3 that the report from Timothy to Paul is a good one, and probably even a great one, in chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, as we long to see you. For this reason, brother, is in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. The church is doing well. They think of Paul kindly. They think of him well. And they long to see him again. This is a, it, you see how this could have gone wrong? Like this goes well. The Holy Spirit um, still prompts love for Paul and Silas despite what would, could be interpreted as an abandonment in their in the midst of persecution. But they're doing well, and they remember Paul and Silas continually. And so Paul mentions both Silas and Timothy in the greeting, and the Thessalonians were grateful for these men. And this background quickly um, helps us understand how Paul can express so freely the gratitude that he does in verses 2 and 3. But the gratitude is not only quick, it's continuous. We see him give thanks here for the church, all of those, all of the time for those who are in Thessalonica, but also if we turn the page to chapter 2, verse 13. He says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but really is what it really is, the word of God, for which is at work, which is at work in you believers. So he's giving thanks that the word of God is at work in them and that they received the word not as his word, but as the word of God. And then in chapter 3, verse 9, if you flip again maybe a page or maybe it's on the next on, on, on the same page, he says, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? 
for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. Paul continually throughout this letter is thanking God for what he is doing in the lives of the Thessalonians. So go back to chapter 1, verse 2 here, and let's think about what he says in these two verses, 2 and 3. Paul writes, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you. He doesn't say sometimes for some of you, but he says always for all of you. So two things there to note. First, that he is always giving thanks and that he is giving thanks for all of the Thessalonians. And Paul is being genuine here. He's not being flippant. He's always giving thanks to God for all who are a part of the Thessalonian church. And here's where we begin to see Paul's example of gratitude and should begin to to think more deeply about our own gratitude. Paul's gratitude is frequent enough for him to say, always. That's, That's a difficult thing to say, always. Are we always grateful for anything? I think if we ask ourselves that question, we find that our gratitude muscle is probably a little bit weak. Are we ever grateful for anything always? Our gratitude oftentimes comes in short bursts, maybe once or twice a year, or not a year, a day. Maybe once or twice a day. I hope you are grateful more than once or twice a year. Paul's gratitude to God is constant. Paul's gratitude not only is constant, but is expressed to God for the people in the church. Paul's gratitude is expressed to God for the people in the church. What would that kind of gratitude look like? What would that look like for us? I think it would look like gratitude for the people in the church. The people of whom are members at Buffalo City Church. And I think that we can oftentimes, if we're thinking about gratitude and thinking about that muscle, we can oftentimes muster up some gratitude, sometimes for shelter and food, reliable vehicle, indoor plumbing. And don't get me wrong, that's not, that, that is real gratitude. That's real, real gratitude. We should be constantly grateful to God for what he provides for us materially. And not only materially, but oftentimes we're grateful for a family member or a a close friend. But here, Paul's gratitude, it shouldn't be lost on us, that Paul's gratitude is expressed for the people, the people of the church, the members of the Thessalonian church. These men and women and boys and girls have been set apart by God for his purposes, and Paul thanks God for them. They're set apart to bear witness to the person of Jesus Christ in the midst of heavy persecution. 
in the midst of a community that is fundamentally opposed to King Jesus because the, because the, the, the culture around them is continually saying, Caesar is Lord. Now we live in a similar context where the world around us is constantly saying something other than Jesus is Lord. Oftentimes it's simple as self. Self is Lord. We think about ourselves as being the highest authority in our own lives. And so the persecution that comes through proclaiming something other than Jesus, or proclaiming that something other than Jesus is Lord, the persecution that comes to those who say Jesus is Lord in the midst of a culture that says something else is Lord, stands here as a witness to the world around them. And so we must ask ourselves, as Christ's ambassadors, as those who belong to a local church, as Christ's ambassadors in enemy territory, brothers and sisters, are we grateful for those around us in the pews at Buffalo City Church? And now, are we, are we grateful to God for them, for his working in them, for what he has done for them, by taking all of that nasty sin and nailing it to the cross, and for giving them new life in him? Are we grateful to God for his work through them, continually forming them into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and making them his ambassadors, light in the darkness? Now, it stands to reason that in order to be grateful to God for another person, you have to know that person. And not just know about them, but know them. And that's why we as a church, one of the reasons we as a church value highly relational contexts is so that you can know one another. So we do things like meals together before Sunday evening services, or the church retreat that's next Saturday, or community group settings. These settings are designed to give us an opportunity to get to know one another and understand how God is at work through fellow members at Buffalo City Church. And to follow Paul's example of gratitude to God is to thank God for your brothers and sisters in Christ at Buffalo City Church. It is, in fact, that specific. What Paul is doing here to follow his example is to thank God specifically for men and women, boys and girls, by name here at Buffalo City Church. And again, I want to be clear that the gratitude is extended to God and not to man. All that the Thessalonians are experiencing is, a re- is not a result of what they have done, but what God has done in them through uh, the efforts of Paul and Silas and then secondarily Timothy, the efforts of those three men in among them that God was working through and then God was working in them in order to bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ and bear witness to who Jesus is in the midst of persecution. This is God's work in them. 
Look at verse 3 again. Paul says that their work of faith, he gives it to, he ascribes it to them. He says, your work of faith. So you must see that when Paul asks, or when Paul says, I give thanks to God, and then he starts talking about their work, those two things are not in conflict with one another. The work that the local church, the members of the local church does, is made possible by God's work in and through the members of that church. So Paul always expresses gratitude to God first in this context. And he gives, great, uh, and he gives thanks to God always and for all. So this is the first thing we see here, is just simply Paul's gratitude to God. And then the second thing I want you to see this morning is how he expresses his gratitude. How he expresses his gratitude to God. Paul's gratitude is expressed in prayer and remembrance. Paul says that the gratitude he has to God for the Thessalonians is on display through one, second half of verse two, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, and then at the beginning of verse three, remembering before our God and Father. The first thing in the second half of verse two, Paul is constantly thanking God for the Thessalonians in prayer. Friends, the level of gratitude that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ at Buffalo City Church is directly correlated to our prayer life. The level of gratitude that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ at Buffalo City Church is directly correlated to our prayer life. Think about it like this. Do you find yourself frustrated or bitter sometimes towards people here? Do you find yourself frustrated and bitter towards people more than you find yourself grateful for them? Or maybe you, maybe you just find yourself simply indifferent towards everyone in the room. Whether you're actively frustrated or, or, or bitter or passively indifferent towards others, you'll never grow in gratitude towards God for brothers and sisters in Christ if you never pray for them. You'll never grow in gratitude to God for brothers and sisters in Christ at Buffalo City Church if you never pray for them. And not just like a blanket prayer, but I'm talking about specifically praying for them. Not just that they wouldn't get sick, you can pray that for sure, or that they would in some general sense be blessed. But expressing to God genuine gratitude for them in prayer. Can you think of someone in this room that you're grateful to God for? This, this afternoon, go home and make a list about people here. Be specific about God's work in and through them. You can include others too, but start here with your church family. 
And then go to God and pray a prayer of thanksgiving for what you see happening in the life of that person, how you see God working in the life of that person, a way that that person blessed you, that you are grateful. Then write that person a note and express that gratitude like Paul does here. Express that gratitude to them. Give it to them sometime this week or at church retreat or next Sunday. And if no one comes to mind for which you're grateful to God at Buffalo City Church, start with prayer again. Ask God to make you grateful and ask God to bring someone to mind. And maybe no one is coming to mind because you don't really know anyone here outside of maybe your immediate family. Ask God to bring someone to mind. And if no one comes to mind, pray to God that he would bring someone to mind. And if you don't know anyone and no one comes to mind because you haven't really asked God what is, what, or ask them what God is doing in and through them, then come to the church retreat next weekend ready to ask somebody what God is doing in and through them. And then give, give thanks to God. Or join a community group. Or have someone over for dinner. Or come to a Sunday evening dinner at 5 p.m. The next one's in two weeks. Ask them. And then keep praying that God would make you grateful for the men and the women here and what God is doing through them. Paul is an example of someone who has exercised this gratitude muscle continually in prayer. And some of us in this room are probably not in very good shape when it comes to gratitude. Start with prayer. Be persistent in prayer. So that's the first way that Paul says that he is constantly thanking God. He's thanking God for the Thessalonians in prayer. Remember, the level of gratitude that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ at Buffalo City Church is directly correlated to our prayer life. The second way that Paul expresses gratitude to God for the Thessalonians is by remembering. But note right out of the gate that Paul does this. We're going to call it, I'm going to introduce a term to you, maybe, maybe you already know this, but Coram Deo. Coram Deo is a term that simply means before the face of God. Look at verse 3. Remembering, now don't throw this phrase away. Remembering before our God and Father. He is remembering before the face of God. As Christians, we must realize that our entire life is lived before the face of God. He is always with us. And there is nothing that we do that he doesn't see. Everything that we do he sees. Therefore, we're called to live lives of obedient consistency and integrity. Everything that you do, every thought that you have, passes before the face of God. Paul doesn't have private conversations with Silas and Timothy about how stupid he thinks the Thessalonians are. And then write to the Thessalonians how he's grateful for them. 
He's not duplicitous, not at all. Paul, remembering before his God and Father, binds him to do it with integrity and an obedient consistency. Friends, do we remember our brothers and sisters in Christ before the face of God? Like Paul, before our God and Father. Or do you assume that God is not present? Do you functionally live as an atheist or believing that God isn't around? He's far off somewhere dealing with something far more important than your thoughts or your words. The level of gratitude that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ at Buffalo City Church is directly correlated to our prayer life, but then also to living before the face of God. Friends, you are living before the face of God. If you took that into account, would you say the things that you say about others? Can you stand before God and gripe about how others annoy you or frustrate you or things that you don't understand when he has sent his son Jesus into the world to die for them and to set them apart for his purposes. If we're living before the face of God, the reality is no. But we so often think of God as far off, out of the room, our actions, our thoughts, somehow secret and hidden from him. So we're quick to remember what frustrates us And we're quick to forget any kind of gratitude for the people around us. So what does Paul remember about the Thessalonians that he's grateful for? And he lists three things. He says, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes, again, we're tempted to skip over lists like this, but I think that this one's important. Don't skip over any lists. This one is important, though. The first thing that Paul says is that he, is, he remembers their work of faith. Living lives of everyday faithfulness, again, which is one of our key themes in this book, requires faith. Everyday faithfulness requires faith. Now, it seems like an obvious thing to say. But we're talked, or this is what we talked about in the introduction, that a work of faith is a work that springs from faith. Do I believe that my obedience to King Jesus makes a difference in the world, that it makes an impact in the world, even in the seemingly small and insignificant things? Every act of obedience is an act of faith. It's believing that God's ways are better than ours. Me as a parent, when I require obedience from my children, I am requiring them to act in faith, that my intent, my, uh, my goals for them are better than theirs. God has given me that authority to make that assessment and require obedience from them. Every act of obedience is an act of faith. It's believing God's ways are better than ours. And not only in the big things, but again in the little things, the doing the dishes and the changing of the diapers and the spreadsheet data entry. 
And it takes faith to do these things consistently from the mom who is worn down but trusts that her role as a mother is to joyfully change the diaper that she just changed two minutes ago but got filled again right away. She trusts God for what what he says in Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. A joyful diaper change is a light in the darkness. Or for the office worker who just had a computer crash and has to re-enter all the data over again. He trusts God for Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as from the, for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. No one may ever see that you had to stay an hour late on Friday to redo that which wasn't his fault, but he trusts that his work was for the Lord and not for men, and that he was serving the Lord Christ. A work of faith is a work that proceeds from faith, trusting that God will take the small and seemingly insignificant things and make them a light, living before the face of God, trusting that God's ways are better than man's ways. The next thing that Paul says, work of faith, and then he says, remembering their labor of love. This expands on the idea of the work of faith. A labor of love is a selfless act, putting others in front of oneself, even to the great point of, per, uh, to the point of great personal cost. Many of us are unwilling to put others in front of us when it infringes on our time or when it may cost us something financially or when it simply makes us uncomfortable. But Paul sees that the Thessalonians are actively being self-sacrificial at great cost, personal cost, to themselves. This becomes a work of faith. Because the Thessalonians were believing that God would supply all of their needs. That they didn't have to withhold from one another, but that God would freely give and had freely given them all things. Do we believe that God will supply all of our needs? The rest that we need? The time that we need? the financial resources that we need. Christians, therefore, can be radically generous and self-sacrificial with each other because we have a promise from God that we are more valuable than sparrows and that God will supply all of our needs according to his riches. It is a work of faith that leads to a labor of love, to trust in the promise that God will supply all of our needs. And then, realizing this, believing this, respond in radical, self-sacrificial generosity. The final thing that Paul remembers is steadfastness of hope. And much of this letter has to do with anticipating the second coming of Christ. And the work of faith and the labor of love that the Thessalonians are engaged in are fueled by a forward-looking, patient hope. 
They know what God has promised for them in Christ. And they know that in Christ, the promise finds its yes in Him. God is faithful. And so we can be certain in hope. Paul expresses his gratitude for God, or gratitude to God, for the Thessalonians by continually praying for them and continually remembering them. That leads us to a conclusion very briefly this morning. Brothers and sisters, just a point of application. Ask God to be strengthened in gratitude. Ask God to be strengthened in gratitude. This is the first way that we can see in this letter that um, that we can be faithful in everyday life. If we did a th- just do a thought exercise with me, think about, and I've probably spent a lot more time thinking about this than you, that's great. Um, it's kind of my job. But a church overflowing with gratitude to God for one another most certainly will result in amazing things in our community. A church that mentions one another in prayer, giving thanks for one another continually, the world wouldn't help but take notice. Where the world is bent on grumbling about one another, their co-workers and their neighbors, and how they built that fence just a little too close to the property line, and how this, this, uh, this co-worker didn't quite get the, the task done the way that we wanted them to, and how our family members kind of say weird stuff all the time to us. In a world where frustration and annoyance are, and bitterness are being communicated far more readily than gratitude, a church that mentions one another in prayer and gives thanks for one another continually, the world will take notice. Which one of you wouldn't be deeply encouraged by knowing that a fellow church member here this morning was going to God in prayer for you, thanking God for you. Which one of you wouldn't be deeply encouraged to live faithfully in your day-to-day life if someone expressed to you that they saw God at work in you? Which one of you wouldn't find joy in knowing that those around you this morning were grateful for you? Not just to your face and then turn around and say something completely different, but always grateful for you. Buffalo City Church, I'm saying this to you not because I think you're bad at this, but to encourage you to continue to grow in this. I watch many of you work this muscle out regularly. Keep going. I hear from new people and visitors often that they come to Buffalo City Church and sense the love that you all have for one another. I've also heard outsiders say that they think it's fake. It's not. It's not fake. God is at work in you. I've seen the self-sacrificial, no-cost-too-great love played out among you too often to think that you're making it up. God has made us a church. Jesus promised that he would build it. And he is building it. 
Friends, let me encourage you to pray this week that you and that we would all be strengthened in gratitude. Pray, write down those names, pray more, write a note to the person that the Holy Spirit brings to mind, even if it's a short note. And if you do not feel gratitude to God for anyone in the room, pray and pray and pray and pray that God would make you grateful and get on your knees and pray that God would make you grateful. And if you get up and your mind immediately goes to grumbling and complaining, get back on your knees and pray for gratitude. Petition your heavenly Father. He loves to give good things to those who ask. Petition him for gratitude and he will freely give it. And then, when he freely gives you gratitude, give it right back to him. When in your heart you feel grateful, first go to him and express gratitude. As a good father who gives good gifts to those who ask. If you're here this morning and you long to live a life of gratitude, know this, it is in Christ alone that you can live a life of true, lasting gratitude. Christians have experienced the gift of true forgiveness and the gift of life, and God's full measure of generosity is poured out on those who trust Christ in Him alone for the forgiveness of their sins, and in Christ, new life, a life that is no longer enslaved to sin, like bitterness and frustration, a new life no longer enslaved to sin is freely given those, to those who trust Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers to you, come talk to me. I would love for you to know the life-giving truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Finally, we'll continue in this vein in upcoming weeks, but consider everyday faithfulness. Consider a life of gratitude that finds itself expressed. Consider your attitude towards tasks and, and what you see, feel are trivial, the things of your day-to-day. Consider your attitude and approach towards them. Consider the simple things of life that God has called you to. Start here. Start with gratitude. God has called you to be grateful. And he will supply all that you need to be grateful. At the end of this letter, Paul writes these simple words. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you have, in Christ Jesus, set us apart God, we thank you that we are no longer enslaved to sin. If we have trusted Jesus Christ, that we are no longer enslaved to sin, but we are free to live lives that are, are, are grateful. Lives of gratitude. God, would you make us a grateful people? God, but would we not stop short of being grateful for the men and women and boys and girls in this room? God, would we not be grateful just generally, but specifically because of the work that we see you doing in their lives. God, prompt us this week to walk from this room, to be grateful, 
and to express that gratitude. God, we thank you for the Apostle Paul, for his example here. God, may we become imitators of Christ, even in this upcoming week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.